0: was our stars flomist Nikki Sounds debut single with Lavender now streaming everywhere Milk what's a
1: ditto I'm not sure but let's ask this guy
2: the communication of ideas is one of the biggest problems found teaching A spirit or fluid duplicator is used for runs of less than 400 copies. A special carbon sheet coated with an aniline dye, usually purple in color. The term ditto is also commonly used because one company was originally prominent in the field. Everyone can operate a spirit duplicator. Your imagination and ability can find many ways to use it in
1: communicating your ideas.
3: They duplicated spirits?
1: Yes, they did.
3: That's dangerous technology.
4: Five minutes past twelve midnight.
5: <laughs> Ellen Walker plays McNeil's wife. Kasha Orzlezewski plays Wech's mother, the courageous.
6: Mo-
7: From Sacramento, the heart of California, and around the world. Genuine Modern Radio. Radio Flom.
3: Both the isopropanol and the menthol found in solvents are toxic substances.
1: Yeah, and that's what they're putting in our soft drinks.
8: My blot of ink is hardly dry. It is a large one, too, of abnormal shape and altogether monstrous. Whether one considers it from the physical side or studies it in its moral bearings, very much more than an accident. It has something of the nature of an outrage. It was at the National Library that I perpetrated it, and upon, but I must not anticipate. Renee Bazin, the ink stain, nineteen o four.
5: easily make a print. We simply take a piece of wood or a block of linoleum or even half of potatoes. We cut away part of the flat surface so that raised pattern. Then we dab the potato with heavy ink or paint. Next, we put the ink surface against a piece of paper and press hard. We have made a print and we can make as many more as we like.
9: Having modified nearly all the constituent technologies of his printing methods so successfully, Gutenberg also found an unusually rich black ink, possibly the kind used by oil painters that would adhere to the metal type. It seems justifiable to consider the entirety of his creation as a wholly new invention. It is a testament to its soundness and fitness that it remained the primary method of printing for the next 350 years. Patrick Cramsey, The Story of Graphic Design, The British Library, First Published 2010.
5: Man, named Gutenberg. Well, what was Gutenberg's greatest One of the earliest ways of printing was by means of a seal, which was pressed onto soft clay or wax. People have used such seals for thousands of years. But it was a long time before anyone thought of putting ink onto a seal so that many prints could be made on paper or fabric. The first real printing from larger blocks started in China.
9: The Diamond Sutra, China, 868. And Japan. Printing, Korea.
5: 14, 30, Four. 30. Four. So, Some of these prints found so their
10: so way westward to Europe. A man named Louis was a
9: In this case, playing cards. Playing cards burned in the name of the church. To us, these messages seem true. Go play day. with your wood blocks. The European <laughs> printers found the they could get a firm <laughs> <pretty> and even pressure, <laughs> pressure <laughs> by using <laughs> a, like a, like a press
5: a like a, a
2: wine press. press. Each,
5: Each turn, turn of the screw bone increased the pressure on a flat screen After a while, they began to print words in addition to pictures. Now, the 15th century in Europe, a time of many new ideas and adventures. People wanted to read about them, but still they could get only books copied slowly by hand. Then, in a secret workshop in the town of Mainz, Germany, man, something startling to become
2: new
5: ideas. Well, then, what was a Gutenberg? A man named Gutenberg had managed to do
9: something that had never been done before. Gutenberg's original name could be translated as Goose Flesh. Well, what was Gutenberg's
5: great invention? Gutenberg had printed a magnificent Bible. But, But, what was more important, he had printed not just one, but 200 Bibles, all exactly alike. This was unheard of. It meant that as many pages could not be printed in a day as a man could write by hand in a whole year. Well, what was Gutenberg's great invention?
9: jell mold technology.
7: Squires will lose everything.
9: Faust and Chauffeur, witches by trade, was the red of their ink made from blood? Saint Bernardino, the patron saint of advertising communications.
11: Denton Yogurt Culture Zine Interview Interviewed by Kelcie Yeah, I'm Brian Denton, and I'm basically a lifelong artist. I do a lot of painting, um, but in the last couple of years, I started making a zine called Yogurt Culture Zine.
12: Very cool. So, since you're artistically inclined, what are some of your influences?
11: When I was a kid, I loved all the artwork inside of like video game novels or manuals, the little tiny items and armors and weapons and monsters. A lot of video games I played, I just loved like Pokemon and Dragon Quest. I loved all the monsters and all the creatures and the world they lived in. As I got older, I played like Yu-Gi-Oh when I was 12, just the fantasy art in that. And then moving on to Pokemon where everything was just the cutest thing I've ever seen. And then I like in college, I got into Magic the Gathering and Realizing that artists like me were doing the art for the cards, it just—I picked my favorite artists in there, and I just love them. And in the older cards, a lot of the artists did like traditional work, and so I'm inspired by people like that that okay. are still making money doing just traditional painting.
12: Of course, those things kind of influence your zines. You prefer to do paintings when you submit art for zines?
11: Yeah, I—I've only submitted to maybe like one or two zines, but my zine that I run, I have other people submit. And I do occasional paintings for it, as you know. Yeah. And I always do watercolor, uh, sometimes colored pencil. But yeah, I I stick to traditional because it's my favorite.
12: Okay. So since you create your own zine and you also consume zines, like what's it like being both a creator and a consumer? And how does that influence or shape what you do?
11: It's a lot different than how I thought it would be. I thought that being a creator would be more serious and more distant from the people that purchased it or whatever. But I found, and maybe it's just the way that I want to run my zine and have it, is that I'm neck and neck with the people that submit the art to it and the people that buy it. I really only care about what they think and what they want. And I don't know, like I, I my zine, I want it to be a platform for the artists. And so as a creator, I'm kind of already a consumer, thinking about what I like about other zines and what I think people want to see in a zine i I think a lot about consuming zines
12: (laughs) yeah that that makes sense you know to be able to put stuff out there you got to think about like what kinds of things to put out there and you know of course constantly seeking inspiration
11: yes yeah
12: is the process of getting into submitting to zines or even if someone wants to create their zine is it relatively accessible for people is it easy
11: i try to make it as easy as possible One of the hurdles that I have is just letting people know that they can submit to my zine. And I think other zines probably have the same problem Is you have to have a big following that just knows that you're available to submit stuff. Um, I've tried to find hashtags on Instagram to find other zines that are, you know, I think there's like artist submission or like zine submission are two hashtags that sort of help. And then another hurdle is like when somebody has a piece they may not have a high-quality scanner. Mm. They may not know how to photograph it. So when I get submissions, it's the wrong size or poorly lit or somehow missing an element or something. But this day and age with Instagram and Facebook, and I remember DeviantArt when I was younger, kids these days are really good about getting high-quality scans of their yeah. artwork. Or a lot of people do digital now, so it's, it's not that hard to... Once somebody submits something, it's it's usually pretty okay. Okay, I haven't had too much issue. Yeah,
12: that's good. What would you tell either yourself when you were you know younger and getting into zines, or someone who's you know like just getting into zine creation to like be aware of? Kind of tying into the last question that I asked, like what do you think they should be aware of?
7: Uh, I
11: wish that somebody told me when I was younger that I could publish anything I want whenever I want, and everybody's going to love it. Like. When I was a kid, I, I didn't share my artwork too much and I didn't do too much artwork because I was too caught up in making sure that whatever I did make eventually when I made it, it would be perfect and complete and yeah. done. But with Yogurt, my zine, the first issue was just kind of thrown together and it was really fun. And the first couple issues are my favorite because I had no idea what I was doing. And so I think that it kind of has a nice joyous nostalgia to it. But in terms of actually printing a zine... I think I should have researched other zines more because the way that I produce yogurt, I want to keep producing it that way because I don't want the issues to look different from each other. But there may have been better paper stock or a cheaper way to do it. Some people make zines by hand and they just fold the paper, which is its own look. And I kind of regret not following suit with like the original 90s underground zines that are just photocopied and stapled by hand i just love that look but also with the new resurgence of zines in the last couple years there are some really really nice ones that have like foil lettering on the cover or like really high quality paper and i gotta say that those zines that are really really high quality are my favorite they're like almost magazines I'm digressing. But my point is... That's okay. <laughs> I wish I did way more research on zines. And I wish I'd made seven different types of zines instead of focusing just on yogurt. It's yeah. not too late, I guess, but I'm just so busy with the yogurt. That I
12: can't yeah. Really. <laughs> well, you're kind of expanding your horizons too as far as taking on new projects. In fact, do you want to tell us more about what you're doing? Of course, you're still doing yogurt, but you're expanding elsewhere too.
11: Yes. So my friend and I started like a two-person team called Rainbow Connection Collective. So cute. Um, Obviously, we love Muppets. Mm -hmm. And we realized that the town we live in, Sacramento, has a lot of artists and, and art events, but we didn't have enough for zines or we didn't feel we had enough. So my friend and I started Rainbow Connection Collective to organize zine fests kind of around Sacramento and maybe around California someday. But we've had huge success with our first event in December. We uh, this local coffee shop offered to let us stay there and have our event in their little venue, which was amazing. Tons of people showed up with their little coffee cups and they bought zines and stickers. And we're planning our next event in March, on March twenty second at the broad room, if anybody wants to go. Broadroom on Del Paso in Sacramento. So I've been busy with yogurt and that little two-person team of it's like a collective
12: that's so cool
11: yeah it's it's fun it's it's nice to have zines as kind of a focus yeah it's just really great
12: yeah and it's nice that you know there's community for that
11: there's a huge community in sacramento if you just turn over a couple rocks you find them they're out there
12: that's cool. Yeah. Is there anything else, like any advice that you'd like to leave us with, or you can use this time to plug your socials if you'd like to plug them so people can find you.
11: Instagram yogurt culture zine and also rainbow connection collective on Instagram. Uh, I mean, I I think once you dive into zines, you'll discover there's literally every type of zine you can think of. I, have been so thrilled to be welcomed into community of zine creators. And they're the people that make them aren't some, some of them are just like me and some are totally different than me. But the second you bring out a zine, they open up to you and love you and so much to share. So it, it is its own kind of community, which I love. I'm telling you, once you look at zines and dive in, there are children that are like eight years old that are making zines by hand selling them for, like, a dollar. And then their dad is, like... he. I met a guy who has three kids. They all make little zines. And then he publishes, like, his own comic books.
12: so cool. It's so
11: cool. And then their mom, like, makes jewelry or something. And then there's me, who I make my own zine by myself. I'm 30. My friend is 34. She makes zines and stickers. And he, some people make T-shirts. There's just literally everything. Everything. Sad zines, happy zines, weird zines, ironic zines angry zines just like there's a zine for everyone i love it
12: all right well i hope that encourages some people to get out there and make zines if you're not seeing something out in the world like get out there and make it yourself
7: make it yourself Mm -hmm. i can't believe the ink is dry
13: As we ride, we've got Timmy as our tour guide. We really miss you, but we'll go with the flow. Me with the windows down as we ride. We got Tim as a tour guide with the windows down as we ride. We've got Timmy as a tour guide. Go with the flow, stars and waves, and dreams to go out past the lights and the galaxies. I had a feeling you were smiling at me with the windows down as we ride. We've got Tim as our tool. Tour-
0: Was Sputnik the Band and the recent release Tour Guide? For more Sputnik the Band, head to hearnow.com, Instagram, Facebook as Sputnik the Band HQ, and on all the usual streaming platforms Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, etc.
7: Radio flow. music you can taste and color you can hear.
14: 3370 BC and 3100 BC, Otzi had about 61 distinct markings, and that's the oldest evidence we've found of tattoos. These markings were most likely charcoal rubbed into cut skin. But because they're generally around joints and the lower back, it's thought that this might have been therapeutic, just like most tattooing nowadays. 2100 BC The province of Zhaojing seems to be marking the faces of criminals with tattoos. 2000 BC Women of Egypt were getting inked, and while it still seems medicinal-related, some would say it was for decoration, but it was definitely a ladies-only club. 1500 BC In Samoa, they used tools made of shells, animal teeth, and wood to give someone a tattoo. And that's where we get the modern word tattoo from, but not till way later. These tattoos marked high status and were most solid shapes and thick lines that usually took a year to finish. They used boiling water to clean the area for each session, and while painful, seems to be the reason they didn't have as many complications with infections. 1000 BC Does henna even count? 500 BC At this time, Greece was using tattoos to mark criminals, prisoners of war, and slaves. Most notable owls onto the Samians. In Rome, it seems as though soldiers and arms manufacturers were getting tattoos, along with slaves that managed to pay their taxes. 200 AD. As a way to turn tattooing around from what was forced upon the faces of early Christians in Rome, tattoos began to be used as a medium to portray Christian identity. 316 AD. Constantine banned the practice of tattooing the faces of convicts, gladiators, and soldiers due to the belief that the face was the image of divine beauty and that it should not be defiled. The rest of the body was fair game, though.
15: My name is Angel Lopez, on Instagram I'm known as legroll, and I am from Sacramento.
6: Radio flops, milk surface, talk sync, with tattoo artist, Angel Lopez. And you're approaching six
1: years since your first tattoo. I did some stalking.
15: No, No? I've, I've been doing it now for four years altogether. I started when I was 18, technically. And I did my first tattoo. I can actually bring it up. Oh, I'm but... doing my
1: math so severely wrong. That's why I was <laughs> like, I, I saw the date your 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 first one. I found it. And, yeah,
15: you know, I'm it just is, not it the is. brightest. No, no, I don't I don't think that at all. <laughs> no, my first tattoo I did in my apprenticeship when I was eighteen. It was probably a couple months after I was in that apprenticeship and I did it on the other apprentice that was there at the time that was only there for a smidge bit, but I pretty much came into work and they were like, Do you want to do a tattoo? And I was like, Holy shit, yeah. You think I'm ready? <laughs> you think I'm ready, Dad? <laughs> it's the same feeling though. Yeah, my first TM tattoo was March eighteenth, two thousand sixteen, so which was... is
1: not six years. It's
15: not six years. Only in <laughs>
1: milk numbers, apparently. So it's all right. Four years. Yeah, still a long time. How do you feel about it?
15: I feel like I don't know shit. <laughs> I feel like in comparison with like like when I tell people I've been doing it for four years, they're like, "Oh, that's like a long time to be doing something." It's like, no, <laughs> honestly, well, like in tattoo world, like you're a baby, you're an infant, you don't know shit, like. <laughs> You you don't really start knowing stuff until your tenure, and even then, like there's always something new to know, especially with like how much it's been changing. There's always something new to learn, and there we go to the sprinkler. Raz, right. yeah. Are we getting hit? No, we're no, we're good. We're fine. Yeah, it's good.
1: Yeah, there's just a little background noise, but that's just part of the flom experience.
15: It's part of the sprinkler beautiful. Um, it's part of the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. It really does something for me. <laughs> you
1: know, just some humidity. I'm sure the listeners can really feel the humidity coming through. Like
15: an Amazonian rainforest is Yeah,
1: beautiful. Just imagine the frogs. Maybe we'll dub some in. Yeah, love that. <laughs> and, like, you draw every day. You're always posting, like, so much. So yeah. much stuff you do.
15: <laughs> I do really like to draw.
1: You, you have, like, your style, your little goblins. Yeah. <laughs> but then, like, you do realism, like, and then mix the two. Yeah. yeah.
15: I think that that's my favorite thing to do is, like, it honestly wasn't until last year or maybe, like, year and a half, give or take, that I started doing that and, like, making that kind of character and also, like, mixing, like, going more experimental with my art. Like, for the first, like, couple of years, definitely, like, two or three, like, I was just doing stuff that I thought people wanted and also I had a really traditional apprenticeship, so I was just doing, like, see that Jerry flash.
1: I imagine that's kind of necessity in the tattooing industry because it is a job. So like, you know, rather than just expressive art, you kind of have to start listening to other people at first. But
15: that's the thing though, too, is that's interesting is that I feel like that there's a difference between like, this is just my own personal view, but like a tattooer is someone who can technically do one, like make a tattoo and like photorealism for example like you can do it and it's technically like you are a tattooer you can make a really beautiful tattoo but a tattoo artist is someone who puts their creativity into it especially nowadays where people use a lot of photoshop with things like that's that's a really good you know source and tool to use if that's the kind of thing that you want to do but I think that there's a difference between being a tattoo artist where you're coming up with original concepts of your own and that Things have, haven't been created. It's literally taking nothing and turning it into something.
1: Something I love about what you do is you do something that I see in a lot of traditional ways, like of just a, a tattooer of you have the the like sheet of something to choose. Every once in a while you do yeah, that sale. Yeah. But you do something different. You make it so that they have an option to mix and match. Cause you have like a silhouetted goblin yeah, head and then yeah. different faces. So like even something that's like more of a, like a common practice you manipulated to make your own, but also give creativity yeah. to the people. That's so cool. Had, that,
15: that was an experimental thing. Actually. I had a lot of fun with it. It was a, an adoption sale, like a yeah. build your own kind of goblin and it went really well. I would love to do more things like that. Um, I kind of gathered some, like, inspiration from other artists as well of, like, there's this person who, like, makes, like, modified stuffed animals that I really like, and they do adoption sales, and I thought that that was super cute, and then there's this other tattooer that I follow where they had, like, a mix-and-match, like, pumpkin thing, which, like, I thought was also very cute, and was like, oh, shit, like, I love drawing these little devil dudes, like, that's that's my guy, I love that, yeah and I think it just, it just makes it fun, you know?
1: Yeah, it's just, it's really cool, because they can build the personality of themselves of each totally. character, You're but it's, like, it still... Own. Yeah, it's still, like, your, your like, style and yeah, everything.
15: Yeah, definitely. It, it's
1: a very synergic, like, communication. <laughs> I don't
15: know. Oh, I appreciate that a lot.
1: Do you have any advice for people that are, like, wanting to get into tattooing, like, are trying to already look for an apprenticeship?
15: Yeah, definitely. I think that a big thing is... With a lot of tattooers, they like knowing that you know the history and that you have a respect for it. I have people all the time that are asking me about wanting an apprenticeship. Oh, my God. There's so many people that, like, it, it hurts my heart because there's a lot of people that want to do it, not because of the love of art, but just because it's, like, a cool thing to do. It's edgy. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's the cool for the clout or whatever. You know, just, like, it's. it's not because of the passion of, wanting to create things it's just because that's a cool rock star kind of and it's I don't think it should be like that I don't think that you should get into a career where you're drawing all the time and like doing very personal things for people and you don't even have that passion like so definitely like be an artist love to create draw all the time draw so, all the time I yeah. Think that having a mixture of showing everything that you can do, diversity. I think yeah. having a diverse portfolio is very important. And a lot of things that tattooers like to see as watercolor paintings and not like there's a specific kind of watercolor though. It's like, not necessarily like the, the medium itself, but just the way that it's done is in a traditional tattoo kind of way where you like shade with spit. They definitely, yeah. And like showing that you can do... The foundations of having clean, precise line work and good, clean shading. And then also, like, just showing, like, your personality and creativity in it. And even then, like, it's it's definitely a difficult thing to get an apprenticeship. And in the community, depending on where you go, you know, it's, it's so different, the dynamic. There's a lot of people who have been doing it for a long time don't want to show you how to do things. Because, I mean, I understand, like... From a perspective of somebody like doing it for so long, like not me, but just like people who have been doing it for 20 plus years. Like I always thought it was weird that people didn't want to share their knowledge because I'm like, come on. Like I also really love this. We have the same passion. Like one of my coworkers, like he had to make his own needles, all of it. He had to take a day out of the week, every day of the week and make all of his needles by hand and solder them and make all the machines and make all the pigment and learn to do it tooth and nail, like to have that knowledge hang also
1: dedication yeah
15: and especially in like the 90s like early 90s and 80s like you'd get your ass kicked for like just expecting an apprenticeship going into a shop and like it's it's a very interesting dynamic of how much it's changed
1: speaking of change like everything about tattooing has changed in in the past 10 20 years
15: during the 80s, like, you couldn't go down the street and walk into a tattoo shop. It wasn't regulated like that. Like, you couldn't even... And, and even then, in, like, in the 90s, like, you couldn't go in and just be like, this is what I want. Like, have it drawn up or, like, show them a phone or something. Like, you can't do that. Like, it's pretty much just, like, flash, you know, yeah. that is on the wall. And you don't get to choose the colors or anything. Like, that's what you want. That's what you get. That's, yeah. that's how it is.
1: <laughs> we have red ink, red ink only. <laughs>
15: yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And versus nowadays, like, you get so much creative with it. Like... It's definitely like, I think a lot of the like social media and like shows and things like that, it's changed how like the clientele is of having the accessibility and also like having to be able to get to choose an artist that you like their work and their style and having that diversity. And there's so many like tattoo shops and so many different artists. Like it wasn't like that, you know, 20 years ago, Yeah, you didn't have that opportunities
1: Is there a direction you want to see, like, the tattoo community head to? Like,
15: I think that, I mean, it just really depends on where you're at. But I really hope that for in Sacramento specifically, I really like how in some dynamics, in some niche pockets of the Bay, like, they have, like, you know, commutative kind of things where they have, like, for tattooers to come together and, like, do events with each other. And, like, I would like to see that, like, a more community-based, like, that's, I feel like there's a lot of people that have this kind of competitive mindset where it's like, you're taking food out of my mouth. And it's like, it shouldn't be like that. Like, we're all people that are passionate about this. Hopefully, like, this is something that you love to do. And I really love being around others who share that same passion. Like, it's a really beautiful thing. It's pretty cool. (laughs) It's lovely. And definitely, again, like, it's absolutely changed a lot. Like, there's a lot more female tattooers than there were, you know, a while ago. And as well as, like, queer and brown folks. Like, there's not a lot of brown tattooers Truthfully. At least in the traditional community, I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> definitely having that openness. But I it's definitely been changing a lot, and I really, really like that.
6: We'll be right back with Angel Lopez. After we pause for a brief station identification.
0: It's bass, the rock, the mic, the treble. I like my coffee black just like my metal. The bass, the rock, the mic, the treble. I like my coffee black just like my metal, cause I can't wait for you to fuck me up in a minute, minute, in a fucking minute.
6: Once again, Angel Lopez.
15: My history with my apprenticeship and my past of that has been wild. Yeah, tell us about your history. Oh, (laughs) So my apprenticeship, like how I personally got started was uh, I knew when I was 13 or 14 that I wanted a tattoo. I've been wanting to do it my whole life. Like I was like, you know, that the young counterculture kid that saw all these punk rockers getting tattooed. Yeah. I wanted to be them. And I, I've been drawing my whole life and like was always a part of that community in a sense. So I always wanted to do that. And I knew that that was like my destiny in a way. So when I was 16, I started making a portfolio of like watercolor stuff. And then when I was 17, I got a kit. And just practice solely on fruit. Just,
1: Oranges, right? Yeah. That's Oranges what I've always and bananas.
15: Heard. And oh, bananas. Yeah, because it's got like a skin kind of consistency. Um, I didn't want to do anything on anyone, though, because I didn't want to do something permanent that I knew I could have done better yeah. if I knew what I was doing. And I didn't want to come into it in a disrespectful way. Versus, which I know that that's an interesting thing, because a lot of people, they start off by tattooing in their houses. Like, that's a yeah. pretty common thing.
1: Especially in Oregon, where I'm from.
15: Oh, yeah. Tattoo college? Yeah. (laughs) That's a whole thing of its own. I I had an apprenticeship, a very traditional apprenticeship. Um, I got it the day after I turned 18. I went into, like, 14 different shops in my portfolio and was like, hey, like, I really am passionate about doing this. I really want to and was pretty much just willing to take anything that I could get. And what I got was it was good for that time, but also... There was like confederate flags in the shop. Oh, yeah, yeah. it was interesting. It was a, I'm a very patient individual. And if anything, from that experience, I got a lot of patience. Yeah. <laughs> and then the shop after that, without going into too much detail, like there was just so many things that crossed the line. And like at a certain point it started, like it, it got to where it was being disrespectful towards my clients. And I couldn't do that because you're putting a bad name on me. And that's, yeah. that's not fair to me.
1: That's not who you are. So, God, no, so that's, that's not who you. I yeah. am. You
15: can't do that. You can't tarnish my name. And then, yeah, shop after that. Got sexually harassed by my boss. Uh, yeah, love that. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, and then the shop after that, same owners. There was a gun pulled on my client. Oh, my God. And then uh, now I'm at where I'm at now, and it's perfect.
1: <laughs> uh, do you mind sharing where you're at? If someone yeah, wants to no, come get...
15: Yeah, I work at Cloud9 over off of 65th and Folsom. It's near Sac State, and yeah, Cloud9 tattoo. Angel Lopez, otherwise known as, like, Roll.
1: <laughs> what was, like, your experience, and what would you tell people who are, like, getting ready to do the first tattoo?
15: Um, definitely. I mean, again, it, I, I personally would advise not to do it in a house. Yeah. If you do have an apprenticeship, that was the way that I would go. And that I feel is not necessarily, I mean, there's no right and wrong way to do anything. Like, you know, it's just perspective, but I think that that's a, if you want to do it as a career and you're passionate about it, I think that that's the thing that you should do. And knowing the history of it and having the respect i think that that's a really big thing and then also just yeah obviously like the cleaning aspect like don't fuck anybody up and give them like hepatitis or anything oh yeah you
1: yeah
16: know, no don't...
15: and then uh i don't know just do it because you love it do it for the passion of it my mentor whenever i would start a tattoo like he would pretty much like it was to my friends like to people that knew that like my art and like what i was capable of and he was like oh if she fucks up like whatever, like, don't even worry, like, I'll just kick her out and I'll just finish it myself. I'm like, yeah, that's great, thank you. Makes me feel really really good.
1: Encouraging.
15: Totally, yeah, it was pretty much like that before I did any tattoo, like it wasn't very an encouraging environment so I think of that, you know, had a lot of self-talk in my brain for a long while versus now, like, when I think of, like what I think about when I tattoo is just like man, I'm so... Lucky and thankful and happy that I get to do this, and I love it so much. And just putting your lo- just putting love into it, really. Yeah. Just,
1: you put love everywhere, like yeah. even if you're not into tattooing, follow, you know, leg girl. Everywhere. Yeah, no, you just know, like be a happy
15: person, just
1: all every day, just thankfulness and just so much optimism. Like I wake up yeah. and I see that I'm like, yeah, right
15: on. I love that. That was <laughs> definitely a personal decision. It was like I spent the majority if not most of my life hating myself as we all do yeah and yeah. being very depressed and you know not a happy individual and then you know a couple of years ago maybe when I was 19 I started like clicking in my brain like this isn't the way it doesn't make me feel good I'm not supposed to feel like this and then that was like a personal self-discovery kind of thing of like no 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 we're always, everybody is so hard on themselves. There's so many people I could not tell you that, oh I want to do this but I can't do it because of this, this and this and it's like, you're already telling yourself you can't have it. It's not gonna you you can't. You can't have something that you want to do and keep telling yourself that you can't do it and still expect it to come. Like you just gotta know that you are willing and deserving and that you, like your existence is a direct consequence of you being a deserving and worthy individual. That's it. That's it.
2: Such a good way of putting it.
15: But nobody thinks like that because we're always too hard on ourselves, and it's like, no, 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 no. If you're doing it with passion and love, you can do anything. As cheesy as that sounds. I'm 22 and a full time tattoo artist, and I've been wanting to do this since I was 13. You can do anything.
7: Radio Flom.
14: 1846. Martin Hildebrand opens the first U.S. tattoo parlor in New York City, and would you believe it? He was tattooing both sides of the Civil War. 1878. So Martin Hildebrand, you remember him, right? Well, he goes on a little adventure with his semi-newly reunited daughter, Nora, only to be confronted by a Sitting Bull who has an interest in making Nora his white squaw and just burn Martin alive at the stake to get rid of him. Luckily, when being tied to the stake, some of the Sitting Bull's warriors noticed the tattoos. Now, at first, a deal for freedom was to tattoo the warriors, but when they feared they were being poisoned, it changed to tattooing Nora head to toe. Nora had to convince her father but was eventually tied to a tree and the process started. Now this took about six hours a day for a year, resulting in her going blind and 365 designs. This only stopped when Martin broke his needle as an excuse to stop, but instead was burned alive just as originally planned. But Nora was saved by General George Crook shortly after. While recovering in a hospital, Nora was approached by Mr. W.K. Leary, who not only assured her that a New York hospital could restore her sight, but he would also foot the bill. Sure enough, her sight was restored. Nora's story doesn't end there, though.
0: For the love of God, don't drink the ditto fluid. Up next, them bloody kids show no love. Find them on Spotify and Apple Music.
17: Could you see the endless stream of tears running? Would you squeal, break the deal? You're
18: not welcome here. Ships come out to listen out.
5: and great human interest. There lies
2: one of the most unusual but factual dramas ever to come to public attention. Now, this exciting story comes to
9: the screen. The movie could be made from piles of oft-romanticized conjecture. I'll stay here a thousand years. But you must not
2: write any.
5: A man named Gutenberg.
9: Gutenberg's original name could be translated as Goose Flesh. Donald Sutherland should play Gutenberg. A man named Gutenberg. Jeremy Piven as the squeaky clean Peter Chauffeur.
5: A man named Gutenberg.
9: Tom Wilkinson. Jimmy Smith. James Cromwell and Miley Cyrus as Beth.
0: Printer's Ink, now that's a nice smell.
7: We are all Flawless, you can be too.
14: 720 A.D. The Japanese are on the trend of using tattoos as punishment. 787 A.D. Pope Hadrian banned tattooing which really fucks things up for its chances of making it to the Western world. 1603. The Endo period. Ink in Japan is booming. We're talking about miners getting dragon talismans for protection to markings denoting beauty and maturity for women. 1691. William Dampier brought to London a native name Gioli or Diolo from the island of Mandanoa, Philippines who had a tattooed body and became known as the Painted Prince. 1712 Joseph Francos Lafiteau, another Jesuit missionary, recorded how indigenous people were applying tattoos to their skin and developed healing strategies in tattooing the jawline to treat toothaches indigenous people had determined that certain nerves were along the jawline and connected to certain teeth thus by tattooing those nerves it would stop them from firing signals that led to toothaches 1736 the American Weekly Mercury, June 24th to July 1st, documented a John Thomas as Marked on one of his arms with some letters and resemblance of our Savior, and on the other with Adam and Eve. Around this time, it was becoming common to see sailors marked in such a way. And with such little skin exposed at the time, who knows how long people were getting a little bit of ink. 1769 1769 James Cook brings the word tattoo back to the U.S. with him after an expedition to Tahiti and New Zealand. While we think other people were saying, tattoo, before him, he used it enough to make it cool, I guess. 1804 Jean Baptiste Cabri, who had been tattooed by the Marquises, became a carnival performer and thus the connection between the circus and tattoos began. This would eventually lead to Horace Riddler being known as the Great Omni or the Zebra Man in 1927.
12: Hey, my name's Erin. I make tattoo and horror-inspired art. You can check me out at erinstewartart.bigcartel.com. Thanks so much.
5: the type cases go in and out on slides however there are no stops on these slides so care must be taken to avoid tying
2: a whole case of type this is the proper way to take a case out of the cabinet to set a line or two from the slides even locate case, your key balance and control pull out the one below halfway lift the case well up
9: onto the, then the bank then pull out your case
2: far enough to reach the back
13: Jensen.
9: Aldest invented small books. Griffo, quite the murderer, no. To us, these methods seem true,
5: but they were the best of their day.
13: Aldous Manutius, Geoffrey Torrey, Claude Garamond, Jean Janon, William Kaslan. Ben Franklin, John Baskerville.
9: Try not to hound him. Your instructor has shown you how to set your composing stick and how to put in a slug. A. Senfelder and Chrono Lithography. Printing is salad dressing because oil and vinegar do not mix.
4: Ottmar My God,
9: my God, you've made a lino-type there. Nice job. Talbert Lansthorn. The monotype caster came with its very own hard drive. Piano roll technology, 1885 to
5: 1887. (laughs) Type is always set upside down, from left to right. Through the years following, improvements came rapidly, and today the printing industry is highly organized, with scores of specialized jobs. So, printing today is for everybody. Newspapers, books, magazines by the millions, well-designed and mass produced. And we have all these today, because down to the east, a man named Gutenberg. A
13: man named Gutenberg.
5: A man named
13: Gutenberg.
9: do I have to look up all these names. You better. There's going to be a test. Ah, shit. Of course there is.
6: DateLine, San Francisco. Too black. Ain't black enough. Or stereotype and truth. Typography in African American periodicals. Popular culture and artists' books. A free lecture by Tia Blessing Game at the San Francisco Main Public Library, Tuesday, the 17th of March 2020. This and other events are listed by our friends at letterformarchive.com. Stroke events. Dateline Los Angeles. A hands-on history of printing is happening Saturday the 21st of March 2020 at the International Printing Museum in Carson, California. For info and pricing, visit flomus Print. Dateline, Dare Tongue. On the Flomuse Literary Blog this week we had a post for our last podcast episode, The Magic of Elizabeth Warren and Radiohead. A personal, unflinching look at the realities of Assault and Steep Hills, Wandering Robots, Night Out at COVID-19. On Dare Tongue Later this week, self-help amid today's chaos with Ruby Roth, Audrey Hepburn, Emily Dushan and a couple of birds to explore, read, and subscribe free to Dare Tongue. Head to Flom.us Dare Tongue
7: How did the squid feel about the new movie he watched? He said it was incredible. <laughs>
8: Almost all the virtues of the perfect wine glass have a parallel in typography. There is the long, thin stem that obviates fingerprints on the bowl. Why? Because no cloud must come between your eyes and the fiery heart of the liquid. Are not the margins on book pages similarly meant to obviate the necessity of fingering the type page? Again. The glass is colorless, or at the most only faintly tinged in the bowl, because the connoisseur judges wine partly by its color and is impatient of anything that alters it. Now, the man who first chose glass instead of clay or metal to hold his wine was a modernist, in the sense in which I am going to use that term. That is, the first thing he asks of his particular object was not, how should it look, but what must it do? And to that extent, all good typography is modernist. Wine is so strange and potent a thing that it has been used in the central ritual of religion in one place and time and attacked by a virago with a hatchet in another. There is only one thing in the world that is capable of stirring and altering men's minds to the same extent, and that is the coherent expression of thought. This was an excerpt from the Crystal Goblet essay, first performed as a speech titled, Printing Should Be Invisible, in 1930. It was written by the Head of Publicity for English Monotype, Beatrice Ward, who at the time wrote under the pen named Paul Boujon. For over 30 years, her words brought elegance to the world of typography and printing. Beatrice Ward also created the poetic text for this broadside, what we know as a poster, to showcase front designer Eric Gill's Perpetua titling typeface. It was first printed in 1932. This is a printing office, crossroads of civilization, refuge of all the arts against the ravages of time, armory of fearless truth against whispering rumor, incessant trumpet of trade. From this place, words may fly abroad, not to perish on waves of sound, not to weary on the writer's hand, but fixed in time, having been verified in proof. Friend, you stand on sacred ground. This is a printing office.
2: Faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets.
1: Up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's...
6: Lewis Hernandez.
2: A being no larger than an ordinary man, but possessed of powers and abilities never before realized on earth, as though it were paper. As our story begins, we ask you to come with us on a far journey. And now,
6: Lewis talks printing and other things... Without blue.
10: Okay, where, where's blue?
19: Blue's not here. Oh, I miss blue. <laughs> she's yeah, she she's got a gig uh, doing post-production for something. Won't say what it is, but it's for one of the streaming services. And, yeah, I mean, she's in L.A. She's working. Great voice. And you're stuck with me because uh, Blue's not here. It's uh, okay. It's like okay. when Rachel Maddow takes a
10: break. Okay. Yeah.
19: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm here with Lewis, and my voice is going. So uh, it's, it's all you, man. So you're doing uh, T-shirts these days and a lot of screen printing.
10: And uh,
19: making money. If at you're it.
10: going to to you know get into a production, the the skill set it requires is so specialized now. They're expecting years of experience for entry level jobs. I, I remember I was like, oh, um, you know, Steve, how do I how do I do letter or hey, how do I do registration on this particular print run? You're like, oh wow, you got way more into this than I did. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, well, you, you met
19: my sort of my mentor, one of my mentors. I had oh, several. Yeah. Uh, the, way, the way it uh, You met my mentor, Steve Robison. Yeah,
10: it, well, what's crazy there, it's just like everything with Flom, the, it was just a series of happy accidents, right? Because, uh, yeah, you, you, you had- I love chaos. Yeah, you you got your hands on this beautiful Craftsman clamshell press, you know, uh, it, which in and of itself has- a uh, uh, an odd story because it was donated by the police department. And it was the police department. It was confiscated. You had a confiscated printing press. And it's like, oh, my God, the stories this machine can tell you. And then so you're like, okay, we want to fire this up for 423. <laughs> I was like, I haven't used this particular one. Uh, I was really nervous about it. So I, I, again, the way I learned about it, because everyone that could either teach you this or, uh, is retired or dead? <laughs> how to, how to use these machines wow. and uh, and so I I I had, I had gone through um, uh, the San Jose uh, Printers Guild and it was just all about the communities online and I found through this uh, uh, San Jose's Printers Guild your former mentor uh, by accident and, uh, by accident <laughs> by accident and you're like hey are are you in San Jose right now like yeah it's like yeah. it's like yeah you're like he, 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 oh, I, I, okay. First of all, I need you to buy ink from him. <laughs> and then I need you to, you know, and, and the, the moment I mentioned you, he was like, oh, this guy. because <laughs> okay, because I, I physically have had to move a press. Yeah. And these, these machines weigh hundreds of pounds. Three, you know, you take, it takes three large men in a freight truck to pick them up. You put one in an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I didn't think we were going to make it to the top floor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You, uh, yeah. So anyways, uh, The yeah, best part was because I haven't talked to him in years.
19: Uh, you called me on the phone and you put him on and he's like, hey, Steve, how's it going? I'm like, well, I got a guy who's never used this press before. And we have an event coming up in three days. Uh, can you teach him everything you know? And then there was a pause and he's like, so things are going the way they've always been going. <laughs>
10: <laughs> he did though he actually did taught me a lot like uh again the th- th- great thing about these events and i always encourage people to go to them it's like y- you, you we were talking about art classes and it's like it really takes a couple hours to learn equipment or software and it's going to take the rest of the time just to uh, uh you know make it your own but it just just kind of uh, doing the DIY and observing and learning, you could do that relatively quick and just just um, you know uh, uh, by watching and, and learning from experts. My current mentor, uh, Karen abstin in California, Tees, was just like, uh, funny enough, um, she was so creeped out by my curiosity. <laughs> she thought I was trying. She no, she thought I was trying to rip her off. She was like, "Are you going to, you know, take my client list or <laughs> like, no one's this interested like." <laughs> Yeah because like I have a very I have a very odd curious nature when it comes to things I'm passionate about and print was one of them so um yeah but again uh, uh it's it's not that you there's not money in print it's just that there's a lot of painstaking work and labor and print and not a lot of people want to do that which i understand it is it is it is backbreaking labor <laughs> so since i've been
19: teaching design one of the big mind blowing things for uh i would say any student who isn't a web designer oh no web designers too that uh what you see on the screen in order to get it onto a piece is a whole other process. Um, I have my three-pronged approach to doing design that I teach students. Uh, The first one is research, which you're an expert at. Remember, we had to stop you and get you to start designing. (laughs) And then design the damn thing. And then I I think the the part that holds it all together is get it printed or on screen or prepped or whatever. And that is, uh, I would say, equally as hard as the first two.
10: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, oh God, like, um, I was just offsetting for embroidery. And yeah. then it just becomes okay, I have to match three shades of yellow in thread. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to convert, you know, um, a three inch logo that someone made in um, a monkey. It's never a dog. <laughs> It's. It's a, you know it's a free software you know and they're they're graphic designers you know I, I'm just a printer what do I know yeah <laughs> so, uh, and I have to take this and convert it to nine thousand stitches you know yeah. and oh uh, and it's funny though because we we ha- uh, uh um in embroidery digitizing is you know converting obviously your pixels to thread and yeah. uh, basically programming the embroidery machine to read the, the these uh, uh points and uh. They, they always think, well, I digitized it, you know, I'm a, you know, I, I made this, I'm the graphic designer. And it's like, yeah, gra- you know, designing it is really only half of the process. Yeah. And in many ways, print production is the same thing. Like, and what's, what's really crazy is the moment you make that jump, people are amazed at how expensive printing is like, and it's like, well, it, it hasn't gone away in many ways. It, it, it's it's offset to much larger facilities, so the mom and pops have gone away, but yeah. the um, the larger companies that are printing around the clock that have million dollar machines, you know, <laughs> uh, the the moment they stop working, um, this gets ex- this this gets extremely prohibitively expensive again, and the only reason it's you know kind of affordable at this point is because. Um, these facilities are fired up around the
19: clock. I haven't seen the film Graphic Means yet. One of the reasons I haven't seen it is I was a graphic designer before computers came in. So I don't want to have a nightmare of how hard it was to produce something for print on an uh production board, cut amberleth and stuff. I I have little fond memories of it since I'm doing collage work now. Also because I worked in Silicon Valley. I can't watch the Silicon Valley show on HBO. <laughs> I explained to a client like last year, it was like, you know, the business card you're getting, you go back to the 1990s, you'd be paying over a thousand dollars
10: just for the uh ability to print that card. I was just on a, lo- a print run. And, I, and I, I actually, we have to pre-treat every uh, garment we have on our press. And I missed a spot. <laughs> and I actually had to come in with the Q-tick just so I could get this letter to lay down in the black I wanted it to. And the uh, it, it, it was that type of attention to detail. It just, it did remind me of uh, professors staring at my, my proofs. And telling me I would do, I was going to have this problem,
19: yeah. You
10: know, and if 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 you weren't if if you didn't care about something when you were making it on screen or when you were sketching it up, it's going to be the problem of a creative professional further down the line. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, it takes so much work on my part to make something ugly aesthetically beautiful. So, like again, like um, I had some stick figures, bona fide stick figures that someone was uh, uh, printing on a large run, and. I didn't particularly like the art, but damned if I wasn't going to make it a gorgeous print. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was that, a that is the art. Yeah. I, I do like hearing that from uh, any creative professional, like, Oh, how did you get that black? And now it's like, okay, well, this is becoming uh, automated. You know, a lot of the um, art form and work that we were taught to really respect and put into uh, implementing our work is, um, you know, anyone with a CC license thinks that, you know, they can do it. It's <laughs> yeah. not exactly, exactly like you need a license to be a, a designer or um, uh, a large budget to sell your work. As um, our good friend, flammist,
19: Borg von Modnar said, after taking a bunch of design and typography courses, the world is a really ugly place right now. Yeah, I mean, there's so much bad typography out there, and most people don't realize I try not to, it.
10: I to, you know, give uh, too much criticism nowadays, but I I just tell people, like, just let me work on it a bit. You know, I, let, let, I could be part of your team. I could, <laughs> like, you know, learning to talk to clients, like, you know, like, okay, well, you know, um, it, it's it's almost there. It's it, it's, you know, it's almost there, but uh, let me just uh, get my hands dirty for a bit. I, I think you get to where, you know, you, you uh, want your work to be. I, I can fix your mess, I think is uh, <laughs> the terminology. Oh, God. No, no. Well, see, the thing is no one wants critique anymore. No, no one wants you to. The smart um, ones do. I, do. I mean,
19: it's uh, – I was in a class recently that uh, I, I haven't really uh, given them harsh critiques yet. Because as we know in the professional world, the critiques are based on how much money I'm losing because you just fucked up my job, and that's the perception. Mm-hmm. One student who's an overachiever comes to me and says, "I want a real detailed critique of what I just did here." Yeah, but she wanted it, and that's it.
10: Well, yeah, and again, um, th- that is the the leap there. It's it, unless you get another set of eyeballs looking at your work, it's it's just a sounding chamber. Yeah. It's just you know, you either think your work is too good or you think it sucks. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I have met the, the inverse of that where a a creative is so uh, gifted where, um, they've never shown their work to other people. And you're like, Oh my God, what are you doing? This is amazing. But, um, I've always seen more of the American American idol situation where someone thinks that they're so talented until they get to that, um, that stage where they're, they're really trying to sell themselves. It's like, Oh man, you've never had an honest critique, you know? And, um, the the time to figure out your work sucks isn't when you've paid six hundred dollars for a large print run of things that you're going to sell out of your garage. You know that's how about <laughs> twenty thousand or thirty thousand? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm being very so being uh, conservative <laughs> I'm being Very conservative. Yeah, yeah. And oh, you telling people like, yeah, you're sitting on your inventory, you know, <laughs> because you didn't want to do a second draft. You are sitting on something. And let's, let's what's what's really funny is if because you failed to really take an uh an honest um look at your work, you're gonna be forced to stare at it in boxes that are gonna accumulate in your garage for, for months <laughs> until you eventually um you know uh, uh give them to the uh, uh goodwill. So oh man, that's mean. Yeah. That's mean. <laughs> You've seen my boxes, so uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's why I'm glad I do have a particular skill set where I could make something yeah. in, in an age where, uh, okay, everything's digital, now what? Um, it, it's just so great to have an artist in perspective on things, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, getting your hands dirty and actually working with um, physical matter and physical material. So,
19: how do we find you, Lewis? Where are you doing things?
10: Uh, well, I'm uh, the um, production designer at uh, California Tees. I'm on social media, Lewis Studies Letters, and um, obviously californiantees.net. So, looks up uh, the very talented Michelle Barnhill. She's our um, uh, creative director, and uh, she she manages the shop. So, Yeah, I drove Michelle crazy,
14: too.
7: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Radio Flam
14: 1882 Nora Hildebrandt And if you don't know who this is Then you really haven't been listening to me at all so Nora can see again, all thanks to Mr. Leary, who I didn't mention owned a circus, and would go on to become Nora's agent, scoring her a job at G.B. Bunnell Museum at Broadway and 9th Street in New York City, where she would tell this very story for $100 a week. I wish I could get paid to talk about my tattoos. 1887 The February 22, 1887 issue of the Brooklyn Daily Eagle mentions John O'Reilly and that his tattoos are hideous and a reflection of his barbarous practices. 1891. Technology changes everything, and that's thanks to Samuel O'Reilly inventing the electric tattoo machine inspired by Thomas Edison and definitely not Nikola Tesla. 1920. Sailor Jerry's style of tattoo, created by Norman Keith Collins, was born. 1941 During the Holocaust, Jewish prisoners were branded with tattoos of numbers, originally on the upper left side of the chest and then the outer side of the left forearm. By 1942, the SS began systematically tattooing all incoming Jewish prisoners. 1944 New York finds Charles Wagner because he was using a dirty needle. 1961. New York bans tattooing all out of fear of a possible hepatitis B epidemic. 1977. Miss February star Stowe was the first Playboy playmate with a visible tattoo on her centerfold. 1997. The New York ban is lifted, and three months later, in May, the first New York annual tattoo convention is held. 1969, the Tattooing of Minors Act becomes finalized, making unsupervised children untattooable. 1991, the Q-switched neodymium YAG laser brought tattoo removal into full visibility. 1993, C.W. Elridge, Allen Governor. D.E. Hardy and Hank Schiffmacher formed a nonprofit corporation, the Paul Rogers Tattoo Research Center, PRTRC, where they serve on the board of directors. The primary goal of the PRTRC is to preserve tattoo history. 2006, Oklahoma becomes the last state to legalize tattoos, and some nerds at Harvard University develop an erasable tattoo ink.
0: the frequency. What's your bin? Don't eat the flump. Mm-hmm. This is
2: Radio Flump. To keep you feeling on top of the world, medical knowledge proves that nature should produce about two pints of liver bile, the vital digestive juice your liver makes, each day. Otherwise, your food may not digest properly and leave you feeling dull, headachey, sluggish. Scientific facts show it takes a two-way treatment to get the vital digestive juice flowing quickly and to relieve sluggishness without disturbing digestion. Therefore, do as thousands now do. Take Carter's Little Liver Pills. First, because Carter's start the vital digestive juice flowing, usually within 30 minutes. Second, because Carter's gently help you to that glorious feeling that goes with regularity. Remember, many ordinary simple laxatives don't. But Carter's Little Liver Pills do give this two-way treatment. So take genuine Carter's Little Liver Pills as directed tonight. Tomorrow, see if you don't wake up feeling glad to be alive. Get Carter's at any drugstore. 25 cents.
16: The best music. We play it all for you. On Radio Wall. The Creature.
13: Vein of Love, from Ace Egg and the Future Past Life's newest EP, Paul now streaming on Spotify. Up next, Melrose fans, the latest from Teenage Death Trap, Heather Lockfield 2, the sequel,
7: a dink, a bottle of ink, the court fell out, and you are listening to Radio Flom.
4: We should reopen medieval and renaissance printing presses in Europe now that everything else has gone to hell. Establish a sense for classical beauty again in artisan prints. Reactivate the ideas of John Ruskin, William Morris, and the private press movement, Dig up the Dove's press fonts from the bottom of the Thames and print only the classics. And put the tedious books online. On the damn screen. Place everything where it makes sense. Fences. Fitness. Printed books. What do you see? The world. Through stories. But stories need theories. A story is nothing without a theory. These days people just stomp something out. And it's been a while since they published theories, so most ones are very old to fall back on. Existentialists are the last philosophers, and even then they fucked up pretty badly. After that it's very meager. Even Michel Foucault started to say all he said was just bollocks and needed to go way back.
0: Guys, I'm over here smelling the printer's ink. Note, Radio Fun will be off next week, because all of us have some shoelaces to iron right now.
1: Uh, did she use that right?
9: I. Uh, uh.
6: is brought to you in part by INK Remover Cause sometimes some things shouldn't have happened Like that carton of cigarettes you smoked last night Carter's little liver pills They do the work of calomel without the danger of calomel Go to your local drugstore and try the 10 cent size Guaranteed your money back immediately fixavile.com We've been talking about printing, like, forever here. So go get some, delivered to your doorstep. Or if you don't have a doorstep, very careful arrangements can be made. Diego Valley. At twitter.com slash Diego Valley underscore LTHM and soundcloud.com slash diegovalleymusic 7th swami at 7thswami.com and and our high gloss cast coat level sponsor squadcast.fm because recording your interviews with the tears you left inside your crystal goblet might look like fun, but Squadcast.fm has a much better user interface. Oh, good! The sprinklers sprinklers (laughs) stop right
1: after we're done. Uh, That's the curtain call.
15: They wanted to give the nice rainforest experience with the rainforest cafe. Yeah, it was just for them. Yeah.
7: From Sacramento, the heart of California and around the world, this has been Radio Flom, featuring a cast of dozens. Appearing on tonight's episode, in order, were...
3: Lavendare, Nikki Sounds, 2, Milk Surface, Aurora Seven Seven Swami, Chad André, Kelsey Cooknick, Brian Denton, Sputnik The Band, Cory Jude, Le Groll, The Erin Stewart. Alex G. Louis Hernandez. Steve Mehalo Esoteric and the Future Past Lives Teenage Dead Trap. Tristicia Langorem. Et. Elfina Found Macaron.
7: Continuity provided by.
3: Our Anunce. Audrey Daggett. Jason Spear. Vicky Brown and Kidoke
7: Radio Flam is produced by
3: Steve Mahalo and Milk Surface
7: Theme music by Chelsea Davis Sound design and engineering by Steve Mahalo Radio Flom is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. However, recordings of contributors or guests of Radio Flom are still protected under international copyright laws. All episodes can be downloaded for your convenience. Radio Flom contains works featured for review, opinion, critique, parody, and or artistic transformation, and will contain adult content and nudity. Flom is a faux-modern art movement, art history resource that promotes learning and education through new and alternative media. Flom is your online connection to art history, music, and beyond through Instagram, Twitter, and other social media. We're all Flomists, and you can too. Donations gratefully accepted at patreon.com flomus. Or just buy us a coffee at flom.us slash coffee. We are at Flomus on most social media. Flom is sometimes explained, but usually not. This is Kid OK saying thank you for listening. And if you don't like this podcast, do something about it.
1: Oh, you didn't cover 3D printing this episode. Have you seen the size these printing presses come in? I think they're pretty 3D.